of Scripture. It's a very, very important passage of Scripture with our word today, which is the word repents. I think I've taught you this before, but the, uh, the word in Hebrew for repent is the word shuv. Sounds like what? Yeah, it sounds like shove. That's how you can remember that because that's exactly what repentance is. It is, I was going in a particular direction and God shoved me someplace else. He, he made me go another direction. That's what that is. And so this is one of those primary passages that actually give you that definition. It's Ezekiel 18 and 30 to 32. And so if you'll read with me, please. <clears throat> Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all of the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Father, thanks for this amazing passage of Scripture that just really helps us with that definition. It's the very message that Peter is going to be using for us today to the people who uh, are the recipients of the first sermon. And so guide us through it, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. An elderly woman had just returned home from a church service when she was startled by an an intruder. As she uh, caught the man in the act of robbing her house of all the valuables, she just automatically stopped and yelled, Stop! Acts 2.38! Repent. Turn from your sins. The thief stopped dead in his tracks. The woman calmly called the police and and explained what she had done. And the officer cuffed the man. And as he was taking him, him in, he asked the thief, Why did you just stand there? All the old lady was doing was yelling a scripture verse at me or at you. Scripture, replied the thief. She said she had an axe and two thirty eights. <laughs> we need a little comic relief this morning. Because if you remember last week's message, Peter's sermon did not end on a very nice note. It was a, an ow rather than a wow. In fact, I want us to look at the summary verse back in Acts 2 and 36. So if you have your Bible, if your Bible app, or it'll always be up on the screen for those who don't have that this morning. I just want to read that just by a reminder. This is how Peter ended his sermon. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The person that you've been waiting centuries for, the Messiah, 
the anointed one, the, the person that for thousands of years you have been embracing and looking forward to, you guys murdered him. How about that? Isn't that a great way to end a sermon? Sometimes it is, church. If I were a Jewish person in the crowd at that time and I was taking Peter's words seriously, I would be in a total panic. I helped to kill my only hope. Therefore, I am, well, I'm that, but I am hopeless now. I have no hope. And the scripture tells us that that is actually what happened in the spirit. Look with me at verse 37, if you would, please. When the people heard this, the scripture says they were what? I love the imagery here. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, question, what, what, what do we do? How do we fix this? How, how do we undo this? If you think about the absurdity of that question, we killed the Messiah. How do we fix that? They forgot about something, by the way. Jesus didn't stay dead. He was, he was risen and ascending. And they had a momentary lapse of, of memory, of understanding that. In fact, we don't see that, but Peter's going to get after that even in later passages in Acts. So Peter's going to address this issue. The, the message of Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, church, was to bring conviction of sin. That's why he left it where it was. Not every message has to leave you leaving this place happy. And all God's people said, it, in fact, it shouldn't. Sin is not a happy place. Sometimes God needs to leave you with an owl so that you think about it and so that you follow up with the question that the Jewish people wrestled with. Sometimes I want you to leave feeling miserable so that you send me an email, not complaining about that, but saying, Pastor Dan, what do I do? How do I get myself right? How do I change? How do I be more like Christ? Peter had that opportunity that was before him Peter's message wasn't an invitation into a nice community of people. It wasn't an invitation to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It wasn't a feel-good sermon that left you uplifted and ready to go out and tackle the world. It was an invitation to be morally right with God through the work of the, of the Son, through His death on the cross, and through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. It was a message of honest introspection and conviction with no resolution. Do you know what a discord is in music? It's, a, it's, a, it's like a major key except for the last one. <laughs> and then that throws you a little flat or a little sharp. And you're left going, ooh, that didn't work. Straighten that thing out. Play the next key. Play the last key. Get that harmony right. That's where Peter left the Jewish people at the end of his message. He left them with a discord, with a, an unharmonious note 
in their soul where they had to say, we got to resolve that. Play the last note. Get the thing fixed. And that's what Peter's trying to do. It's why they asked the question. I want to summarize the rest of the passage in, in Peter's response by just giving you seven R's today. I'm going to move through these fairly quickly. Seven R's. The first two are Peter's response to their question of what should we do. So the first R is, verse 38, your word, repent. I'll read this and go back. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 and 16 that he and others used to think about Jesus from a worldly point of view, but they no longer think that way about him. Repentance always begins where, church? In your thinking. It, it starts in how you view something. And then truth bears witness to that. And you say, I can no longer think that way anymore. That's called a worldview change. It happens down deep. It's not just a mental assent of something of, oh yes, I believe that. No, it's a mental assent that transforms the inner person to the point where there is a conversion. I'm, I'm not doing this, I'm doing this. When you convert something, if you con convert Fahrenheit to Celsius, you come up with new numbers, right? Because you're doing a completely different scale. You can't use the Fahrenheit formulas anymore. You've got to use a completely different type of formulas. And it starts here. I have to think differently about how that happens. That's exactly what God does to us internally. He changes our mind about something to the extent that it changes our whole worldview. How I see things from God's perspective. I, I can no longer see people like that. People were just problems to me before. They were annoyances. They, I used people uh, to get my own agenda, to, to get up the ladder. That's, what I, that's how I viewed people. You know what? I can't view people like that anymore. Why? Because Christ is my Lord and Savior and he doesn't view people like that. Does that make sense? So God changes all these other things because I've repented. And that's why he keeps doing that, by the way, in my life. Because there are still things that aren't quite lined up with who he is and what he wants. And God has to keep provoking me to repent, to turn, to change my thinking about certain things so that I line up with God. Paul, he had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what did he do? He repented. He no longer thinks about Jesus as some rogue teacher who was leading people astray, but rather Jesus now is the Son of God and the Messiah. That's a radical change. What do we do, Peter? Peter says, you need to start with your mind. You need to change how you think about Jesus. That's why I gave you the information before. Who is Jesus? What happened to Jesus? And how is he connected to the Old Testament prophets? Do you remember that? Real simple stuff. Who is he? What happened to him? How is he connected in your faith system? Answer those three questions. Do you get the truth out of that? Now what are you going to do with it? You've got to change your mind about who Jesus is because what you've been taught is not who he is. All right. What else, Peter? What else do we need to do? Well, the second R is relate. We need to relate 
personally and publicly with Jesus, be associated with his death, burial, and resurrection. And we call that by another word. This is a picture of something. We call that what? Baptism. Baptized. Repent and be baptized. Those are both uh, commandments. Turn, change how you think about God, and be baptized. And I just gave you another way of thinking about that. You need to relate personally and publicly with Jesus. Be associated with him, but you need to do it in a public way. You need to do it so everybody knows who you are aligning yourself with. All right, publicly proclaim who he is by going down to the ritual baths outside of the temple and baptizing yourself in the mighty name of Jesus. For those of you who've seen Jerusalem, been to Jerusalem, uh, we're going to see later on that 3,000 people came to know Jesus on this day and were baptized. There's only one place in the Middle East that that can happen. It's at the temple. Well, you could be at the Jordan too, but it happened right outside in the temple. How did they do that? The Jordan River is quite a ways away. They'd have to walk. They couldn't get there in a day. So there's only one place that could happen on that day, and it's in the mikvahs. It's in the ritual baths on the south side of the temple wall. There's multitude of those. Do you remember that, church? Have you ever seen those? What were mikvahs? They looked like this. The baptismal tank was down there. You went down the right side of it. You immersed yourself, you completely covered yourself with water, symbolizing a ritual, ceremonial cleansing. That's what the Jewish people did. But now they're doing it for a different reason. They're associating themselves with Jesus. I'm being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They would wash themselves, which was a spiritual cleansing, washing not with water, but with yeah, the Holy Ghost. Being born again, they would turn around on the left side. They would walk up the left side of the steps, coming out ritually pure, understanding that Jesus Christ has cleansed them from their sins, but they did it in a very public, public way. They are now relating to him. It's a relational word, right? Peter was not teaching, by the way, baptismal regeneration. You're not saved by being baptized, you're saved by repenting and putting your trust in Jesus for salvation, for the forgiveness of sin. Baptism is an outward expression, a public expression of an inward reality or change. You see, people can't see my heart, but they can see my actions. And all God's people said, please. They can see how I change how I speak and how I act towards people because that's the definition of transformation and actually salvation. You know, for example, in this church's tradition, like many others, baptism is a promise by parents to teach their children to rear them up in a way that positions them to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're going to see a multitude of passages in the book of Acts where it says, you and your family, or they and their family accepted Christ. But you need to look at those passages very carefully. It, it says that they believed and received Jesus Christ and then were baptized. Babies can't do that, correct? Is there a place for that? There is in tradition, and that's okay, because parents, we love standing, having you stand before us and saying, we are pledging to raise this child, to rear this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in Galatians. And we're going to do that to the point where that child at some point says of themselves, I believe 
in Jesus. It's no longer my parents' faith, it's mine. And in this tradition here at St. Thomas, as we dedicate, as we baptize babies, the most important part of that faith system then for the child is not so much the baptism. The most important part of the faith journey is where, church? Walking it out, but in particular in what we do here at St. Thomas, what is, a, what is an activity that we do here that helps kids with that? Confirmation. It's confirmation. We're confirming something. We're confirming what your parents have been praying for their entire life. Can we see the change of heart? Is sometimes kids going through a confirmation process because their moms and dads and grandma and grandpas want them to go through it and they do it rotely and say all the right answers and leave and they're no longer, no more closer to Jesus than they were before? Absolutely that happens. Are there some times where kids go through confirmation and really figure out who Jesus is and say, yeah, I believe that. Answer, church, of course that happens. So we have opportunity at confirmation to sit down with kids and go through, what do you believe? I don't, I don't, your mom and dad have their own belief system. I, I'm interested in what do you believe? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? What do you believe about how someone comes and lines up morally, rightly with God? I want, I want to know what you believe about that. That's part of this whole system. It's part of repenting and baptizing. It's part of Acts 2 and 42, which we'll get to, which is gathering together for fellowship and listening to the apostles' teaching and understanding, okay, I, was, I believe this, but I don't know all the details. I don't know how this all works. Well, great. Go to church. Go to Sunday school. Go to VBS. Get the learning. Get the understanding. Work out your, Philippians, your salvation with trembling and fear. You got it. You understand it. Now work it out. Figure it out. Get, all the, get the information to support why you believe what you believe. That's what that's all about. When you repent of your sins, when you publicly affirm your faith in Christ, then we got a third R, which is receive. You receive two gifts. The first is the Holy Spirit. He, comes upon, uh, he, he doesn't just come upon you. He lives within you. We've talked about that prior, so I won't talk much about that. All because you've repented, you believed, you received, you confessed Christ, you received that wonderful gift of the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. You also receive something else. Look at 39. This is the promise. This promise, this giving of the Holy Spirit, this life transformation, it's not just for you, it's also for who else? It's for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. There's a little hint here of what God's going to be doing. We don't see this until Acts chapter 10 with Peter. But God is not only just calling Jewish people and their descendants. He is also going to be calling who? Gentiles. All those who are far off. You see that language in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. So you get the gift of the forgiveness of sins. You get the gift of the Holy Spirit. You get the promise it's not just for you, it's for anybody that comes along, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, down to a thousand generations if you're faithful to Christ. They'll be able to come next, 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The next R that I want to give you is rescue. This sermon is about rescuing people from personal sin and being corrupted by this generation. And Peter lines up with all of the other Old Testament prophets who 
came to God's people out of grace and mercy from God and pleaded with people to turn away from their sin and to turn to God himself. So there was a rescue mission that was taking place in Acts 2 and 40. The sixth R that I want to give to you is in verse 41. Those who accepted his message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The word I want to give you is received. It's just another R word, but it speaks to that word accepted. It's one thing for Peter to present the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then those who hear have to do something with that. Make sense? You got to do something with that. Salvation is not a work. You don't do anything for it. Jesus has done it all. But there is something you need to do. So if you think about it like a birthday present or a gift, when someone gives you a gift, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. They did it because they love you. They appreciate you. They want to give you something out of the kindness of their heart. And so they give it to you. But you have to do something then, don't you? You have to receive it. You have to take it. You have to say, thank you. Thank you so much. I didn't deserve it. Yeah, I know it. I love you and I want to give it to you. So you still need to have an action step, which is you need to receive the gift. And that's what Peter is saying to the Jewish people. You don't need to work for it. And I don't know if you recognize this, but this is a major worldview theological shift for Jewish people. Because for thousands of years, Jewish people have felt that they've had to do what in order to earn their way to God? Work. You got to bring the stuff to the temple. You got to do all the right things. You got to keep 613, 613 commandments, and you got to do it perfectly. There's no way that you can do that. So, you know, as Gentiles who have known Jesus probably most of our life, we glaze over the top of this. It's like, yeah, who doesn't know that? Receive and believe Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and he give you the right to become the sons of God. Yeah, we know John 1. Yeah, wait a minute. Well, you didn't grow up in a Jewish house where you had to work in order to earn God's favor. And so for them to, for Peter to show up and say, look, you don't need to work anymore. All you do need to do is just receive the gift. Wow. That was radical. That was a radical, radical statement. Those who accepted his message. By the way, there's something also implied in that verse. Some people didn't. Some people didn't accept the message. They didn't accept the new theological worldview that Peter was espousing. They rejected that. Last word for the day. Um, was 41, whoops, I'm sorry. Is it back there? Oh, it was part of that. And 3,000 were added to their number. It's just the result. Now, some people are going to come along and say, wow, Peter had to be one of the greatest preachers in the entire New Testament. He was not. All this tells you is the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives. That God can use a very broken, formerly rebellious man who denied Jesus three times in very harsh language, by the way, and God can still use a person like that. And the result was 3,000 people were added to the number of believers that day. Can you imagine if that happened? Can you imagine if the entirety of Burnville got saved today and came to church? 
Yeah. My question, Rob, is where are we going to put them? Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know. We'll pray that way. And, you know, that's a good reminder that it's not about the speaker. It's not about what we do. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit that change lives. That's important as we think about those things. Can I give you some points just to ponder as we close? The gospel will always entail confronting other people about what? I don't want to do that. But, you know, the gospel is not good news without bad news. If you don't know there's bad news, why do you need the good news? If you don't know you're a sinner, why do you need a savior? You you don't need any of that, which is part of the problem, is that we have forgotten that we're sinners before God. We've come to a place, and this is not unique to our context and our culture, but we've come to a place where morality is fluid. It's what you want it to be. What's right? What's wrong? I don't know. What's whatever you want it to be, I guess. Isaiah said there's going to come a time when people say this, that which is good is evil and what is evil is good. Do you think we're there, church? Absolutely, we're there. We're in Romans 1. We're in the futility of their thinking. They've abandoned God and they're worshiping all kinds of stuff. And sexuality is being twisted and turned to the point where we're taking kindergartner kids and we're not putting male or female on their cards. We're just saying, hey, why don't we just let them choose? Let them choose whether they want to be a boy or a girl. Uh, that's the twisted futility thinking that's happening in Romans chapter 1. It's where we live, church. And so confronting people about sin is never easy, but we need to do it, and we need to do it with grace and mercy, as we hope that happened to us. But if we don't start people there first, we can't get them to the good news of Christ. Does that make sense? The gospel always confronts people with sin. It just always does. Second, repentance and baptism should be past actions with present evidence. Have I repented of my sin? Absolutely. I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Have I been baptized? Three times. I was baptized as a child with my parents. Didn't know it. Didn't consent to it. Didn't want it. In fact, most children don't want to get wet uh, in front of a few hundred people. Uh, But thank God my parents thought to set me on that course. I was later baptized by immersion at the age of 19 of my choice to follow Christ in my life. And I was baptized in the Jordan River in November. And if anybody asked me, Dan, we would like you to get baptized before people every week. Guess what I would say? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I have an opportunity to share my faith, to tell people how Jesus has changed my life, not only 40 years ago, but every day of my life, every week, I would be happy to do that. Get us a horse tank up here. Let's start dunking people. All right. There should be a constant present evidence that God is changing your life, that you are turning. God is constantly working in my mind to help me to understand things that haven't quite lined up with who he is. I'm constantly learning, and I constantly want an opportunity to publicly evidence the fact that I am constantly changing and becoming more like Jesus. Is that you? Can you give me an amen if that's who you are today? I hope so. That's what we're supposed to be about. Third, not everyone wants what you have, by the way. Oh, I love Jesus. 
I wish you could know him. Why? I don't want that. Part of that's our problem, by the way. Part of it's because we live hypocritical lives oftentimes. But I heard a a great message this week that said, you know, um, it's interesting that people who don't want to know Jesus accuse us of hypocrites when they really have no moral standard of themselves. They only call us a hypocrite because we claim to worship a God and are trying to live a holy, righteous life before God's people or before the world. Do we fail and fall, church? Oh, my goodness, every day. But it doesn't discount the fact that we have a high moral standard now. It's what we're shooting for, and that's what we're after. And not everybody wants that. Uh, Jesus said this very eloquently. Do not cast your pearls before, before pigs. Or they'll turn on you and damage you. They don't want what you have. So be very careful about who you're sharing the gospel with. Pray that you share the, the gospel with people, what we call people of peace. People who want that. From, and the last one is this. It's, it's all about Jesus, church. It just is. It's all about Jesus. The day of Pentecost was all about Jesus. The, the, the tongues of fire were all about Jesus. The speaking in other tongues were all about Jesus. The giving of the Holy Spirit, this speech about Peter, it all points people to Jesus, and that's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. Everything we should do should point people to him. That's what we've been created for. That's our purpose in this world, or elsewise God would take us out. It's all about him. And that's our prayer today. God, let it be all about Christ in our lives. It's the prayer that we pray. Can we do that as we close together? Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us and for this speech, this great message, this proclamation of Peter. Um, He speaks some very hard things to his people. Why? It's because he loves them and he wants them to have what he has because it's all about Jesus. It's all about being transformed into his likeness, receiving the Holy Spirit. It's all about the promise that's given to not only ourselves, but to our children and our grandchildren down to a thousand generations. It's not just to the Jewish people, it's to the Gentiles. And we stand here in this place at St. Thomas and we give thanks because I don't know too many of us who are here that are Jewish. So thank you for extending your hand to us and grafting us into the true tree. Thank you, Father. And Father, continue to search our heart and to know us and to draw out sin in our life and let us be quick to apologize, to seek forgiveness, not only of you but of others. And I pray, Father, that our repentance and our baptism would be that constant presence in our life where people are constantly observing the fact that our minds are changing, becoming more like Christ and that our words and our life in themselves are modeling and showing people what you're already doing in our heart. God, we pray for these things, Lord. It's all about Jesus. Let us focus on those things. Let us make the change to to, to do that and to be that type of person. We pray this in his wonderful, mighty name. In Jesus' name we ask. And all God's people said with me, please. Amen. God's peace, God's grace. Thank you for a good morning. Go.